It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.08 at News Talk WSB, still 74 degrees outside. The temperature is going up into the low 90s, I think Brad said a minute ago, so we don't have quite the heat that we had earlier this week and last Saturday as well, but still pretty, pretty, pretty warm outside. If you have a question for Lawn and Garden about what you should do in the heat, whether or not your lawn mowing can be affected, whether or not your watering practices can be affected, and so far we don't have any watering restrictions, thank goodness for that. But if you have questions about how the heat affects your tomatoes or your other flowers and plants in the landscape, our number is 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. And one of the things that I alluded to a minute ago was about insecticides and the use on lawns and their effect on beneficial insects or ornamental insects. I was talking about the fireflies and how just general lawn insecticide use does cut down on the number of fireflies that you have because that's their favorite habitat. That's where fireflies live is in the in the uh, thatch layer of lawns. That's where they hatch and that's why you see the fireflies lighting and dancing above the lawns in your in your neighborhood. So that's why I said I wanted to be very cautious about using lawn insecticide. One of the other things that may seem like a good thing but is actually a bad thing are bug zappers. You know the electric blue light things you can put out in the patio and every two or three seconds you hear this <laughs> sound and you think oh man that's another mosquito not going to bite me I got those mosquitoes on the run now I'm going to kill all the mosquitoes in the neighborhood and the truth of the matter is that many times those <laughs> nasty sounds are not mosquitoes there are other beneficial insects that are again part of the food chain that other birds and uh, frogs and lizards and various things that live in the in the natural world that's what they eat and so by you going and thinking that you're killing mosquitoes, it's probably 10 to maybe 15% of the total population of uh, uh, total number of insects that are caught in one of those bug zappers that are actually bad insects like mosquitoes. But many times they're beneficial insects. They're, they're things that are predator insects that go out and help you to control pests in your garden. And so I am not a proponent of using bug zappers because they're just indiscriminate. And I think that's the main thing about lawn insecticides and bug zappers too, is they're simply indiscriminate. They don't make any difference between a good bug and a bad bug. It just kills everything. And so that's part of being a good gardener is practicing first good identification, knowing exactly what insect you have, and then identifying what problem the insect is causing, if it truly is that insect that's doing the doing the problem, and then deciding what is the least harmful way of controlling this insect, whether it's maybe watering the lawn to make the grass grow better and the insect can be tolerated by the lawn, or maybe it's a way of using one insecticide more than another insecticide, or other means that make sure that after you've identified the bug, and after you've identified the problem, that you use the least toxic method of controlling it so that the good insects, which are out there in, in somewhat of a harmony 
you know, yellow jackets, hornets, paper wasps, they're all there for a reason. It's not just to bug you and to bother you at a picnic, but it's because they eat aphids, they eat caterpillars, they eat other creatures that are bad for your garden and for your landscape. And so I don't many times advocate even killing the yellow jackets and the hornets if they're not doing anything bad to you. So think about that. Bug zappers, eh, don't much care for them. Lawn insecticides, same thing. There may be other examples as well. But if you have a question about what I do think works and what I do think is the least toxic and most reasonable way of dealing with problems, again, my phone number, 404-872-0750. Gene is in Peachtree Corners and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Gene. Hey, Walter. What's up, Gene? Uh, wanted to check about, I talked about pruning hydrangeas last week. Yeah, yeah. This week, uh, fertilizer herd. You know, that's a great question. Fertilizer, 1477. Yeah, great question. Because once you have pruned a hydrangea, you want some growth coming on it. You right. want something to right, happen right. that, um, that uh, gives you new growth, new stems, new blooms for next year. And to get some new growth, fertilizer is a good thing. And to be truthful, Gene, I don't think there's any specific fertilizer that makes hydrangeas more or less happy than another. And so 1477, that's fine. Any of the sort of slow, re what I call the slow release organic things like uh, Espoma, Hollytonite, Milorganite, yeah, all that kind of stuff. They work fine. Meal. I've used that on uh, blueberries. Yeah. It works great. Yeah. Okay. I did. I thought, well, because of trying to turn them, keep them blue, acidic fertilizer, right. if it's for his age, should work. So. Well, uh, I, I know that for, I know, Gene, that sometimes fertilizers have labels on it, say, for acid-loving plants and acid-forming yeah, yeah. fertilizer and all well, that kind of I, stuff. I remember, remember John Travolta? Uh, yeah, 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 of course. But the acid-loving label on these fertilizers, Gene, is not exactly correct. The soil, re, the soil doesn't change pH as a result of fertilizers going into it. The soil changes pH mm -hmm. over a long period of time, and uh, so even though it says azalea camellia for acid-loving plants, that doesn't really change any of the pH of the soil particularly. So oh, that said, that's use whatever you want to for your hydrangeas, and they'll be fine. <laughs> Bottom line, well, whatever you want. I around tomato plants too. Yeah, they seem to be doing great with it. So oh, good. Yeah. Good deal. Okay, good. Thanks. Good good talking to you, Gene. Thanks for calling. Okay, sure. If you want to take Gene's place, our number is 404-872-0750. Jason in Locust Grove joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jason, good morning. Hey, Walter. How you doing? I'm doing all right. What's going on, Jason? I have three tomatoes on the back porch um, in separate pots, and they're five to six feet tall with no blooms, no tomatoes. Wow. Big boys. Let me There's think. actually one tomato, and that's it. That's the, <laughs> nothing else. That's your precious tomato. You already named it, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. How, how are you fertilizing it, Jason? 10-10-10, uh, and uh, occasionally um, miracle Grow tomato. Mm, I think that's your problem. Um, okay. When you in a pot, it's easy, easy, easy to over-fertilize anything, house plant or blueberry or tomato plant, whatever. And when you over-fertilize, I sort of alluded to this when I was talking to Gene a minute ago, you push growth, you push leaves onto a plant, you make the plant want to have leaves. 
by adding nitrogen to the to the soil, and that's through Miracle Grow, which is a real fast release nitrogen, or 10-10-10, same thing, very fast release. Just the first watering releases all this nitrogen into the soil in the pot, and so the tomato says, "Woohoo!" Lots of nitrogen grow, <laughs> so it grows okay. six feet tall, and it doesn't have any time at all to think about putting flowers and making fruit on the plant because it's growing so fast and making more leaves. So right. that I think, Jason, is where you would modify your practices, which is to stop fertilizing and let's give the plant time to breathe. Okay, so should I prune them or? <sighs> Nah, don't do that. It needs leaves. Let's let the leaves uh, absorb sunshine and do what okay. nature intended and see what happens. Give it about, I don't know, a week, two weeks maybe, Jason. Let's see if we don't get some flowers up towards the top of the plant. I would be surprised oh. if you didn't. Okay. Uh, do you have time for one more question? It's pretty quick, pretty quick. Uh, real quick question. Will catnip, uh, or cat, not catnip, will cattails grow? in a uh, a yard. <laughs> why, a why, why, why do you want to go cattails into your yard, Jason? Well, I have a small well house, and I wanted to plant them around it. Huh. Probably not, unless you have a, <clears throat> a wet place. It needs to be really wet. Cattails, as you know, they grow in the edge of lakes and ponds, and so they prefer to be immersed in water all the time. So okay. I don't think we can plant them as an ornamental unless you just want to have a water feature and a little pond drip and put the cattails there. I guess you could do it there, sure. Okay, well, thank you, Walter. You know, if you do that, Jason, I would love to see pictures of your cattail plantation by the well house. That would be interesting to see. Well, the, it gave me an idea because um, I make deliveries at night, and there are some cattails that's around a sewer lid. Ah. They got and some water somewhere. I, I like the look of them, and I thought they would look good around my ferns in my uh, well house. Try it and see and send me a picture. Okay. All right. I look forward to it, Jason. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Walter. We'll see you, man. Soon we'll talk to, oh, we got James in Henry County. He wants to talk more of his squash problems. Charlie has Kentucky 31. and wants to know how to deal with some pods that are coming up. Debbie in Woodstock has hydrangea blossoms that are now white. Why is that? And Jose in Gainesville wants to know about watering in New Maple and River Birch. We'll talk about all that as well as you. 404-872-0750. And we'll be back right after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, truck noise, weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. In time for a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Hot weather in Atlanta today, but here's the great news. An excellent chance for maybe some rain. 50-50 chance of rain this afternoon. Highs only in the low 90s, we think. Overnight, partly cloudy skies again, and 30% chance of rain remains. Lows dropping into the, let's call it low 70s overnight. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Debbie is out in Woodstock and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Debbie... How are you Good doing? Good morning. Good, Good morning, morning, Walter. Thank you for taking my call. How can I help? Well, I've got some hydrangeas that had beautiful purple blossoms in the spring. Oh, nice. And now they've just 
the, the color has just changed to a white or kind of greenish. My, my pretty purple color is gone. How do I get that back? Oh, <laughs> uh, it doesn't come back, Debbie. Really? No, they fade. You know, you enjoy the color for a while, and then they—I mean, if you're lucky, you have a sort of a sort of greenish purple color as they fade on down. And if you're unlucky, they look really ugly and ratty, like mine do. And I cut them off because I don't like to look at them anymore. Uh, okay, so you can't get it back. Sad to say. So Epsom salt or anything like that's not going to bring color back, huh? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, that said, because you're my friend, Debbie, I will tell you there's one particular kind of hydrangea that I love, and it's only available in a couple of places, and I think online probably is the only place you'll find it, really. It's called Preziosa, and Preziosa, P-R-E-Z-I-O-S-A, Preziosa, thank you very much, um, has the prettiest sort of... Uh, pink flowers, I guess you'd call them. They're small. They're about the big as your fist. They're pink flowers in the late spring, and then they change to a beautiful wine red during the summer and early fall. And I think they have the longest, Preziosa has the longest attractive bloom time of any hydrangea that, that I know of. So Preziosa. And okay. the only place I know that you could find it readily here in the metro area anyway is online at hydrangea.com from the uh, gardens down in, in Palmetto, Wilkerson Mill Gardens in, in Palmetto. But I really like Preziosa. It is a beautiful hydrangea, and if you want something to add that gives you a longer bloom time, that's worth thinking about. Okay. Thank you so much. Preziosa. Thanks for calling, okay. Debbie. Thanks. Have a great day. Speaking of one thing Debbie said just now, Epsom salts... Epsom salts are useless. You want the real down-and-dirty, research-based answer about Epsom salts? Yes, I know your grandmother and my grandmother and your mother and your Aunt Ethel and everybody else uses Epsom salts on their garden. They don't do anything. Epsom salt is just a chemical, magnesium sulfate, and we have plenty of magnesium in our soil. We have plenty of sulfur or acidifying compounds in our soil. We don't need it, but because Grandma did it, everybody thinks that Epsom salt is the thing to put around your roses, around your hydrangeas, around your uh, most any other plant, your peonies or anything in the lawn. But really, Epsom salt is pretty useless. Yeah, try convincing a lot of people that, and they just say, that's just crazy. Mine looks so much better when I put the Epsom salts on there. Maybe the research does not support any advantage to putting Epsom salts on plants. All right, you do what you want to do. It's not going to poison your plant to use it. If you want to, go ahead. But uh, me, my money can be spent on other things. My money can go to... I don't know, lottery tickets, something that really, really, really is going to benefit me, sure. It's 728 at Newstalk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden right after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 736 and 74 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you do or 
don't want to do in your landscape. I can help give you excuses for why you don't want to do it. I can give you reasons why you do want to do it. All you have to do is call me, 404-872-0750. One of the things that Ashley Frasca does when she's not out in her garden or when she is not in the air conditioning is wander around in her garden looking for weeds because she needs candidates for Weed of the Week. Every Saturday morning around this time, we feature one weed that Ashley has found in her landscape. And what is our victim this week, Ashley? With as hot as it's been, it actually gets a little more difficult to identify weeds this mm. time of year. Not identify, but just to even spot that you have them. Because in spring, everything's cropping up. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. So. Sure. But um, I did. I, I walked around in my creeping juniper yeah. and saw this big, tall, lime green, stalky thing growing out of it with a really pretty, like, long, skinny leaves. So a wild bramble. Because it's Thorns. the Thorns. Yeah, wild bramble. Wild red, wild blackberry, we call it too. So either so way, does it actually berry though? In a million years, you might get a couple of blackberries off of oh, it. I'm not leaving it in my yard. No, for a million you don't years. want that. No, some bird somewhere a mile away ate a blackberry off a vine somewhere over there and pooped it out above your junipers, and it sprouted. And it is not going to make very many berries, if ever. And it'll continue to spread by roots underneath the, the junipers there. And junipers by themselves are miserable to walk in anyway, as you know. So take your, take your uh, mattock and hoe and go in there and dig it out. I just yank it. Yeah, yeah. And that it. works. Yeah, you got to have gloves on. But yank it out. Get the whole root system because if you just clip it, um, many times it comes back from the roots. And you can't spray it with herbicide because it'll kill the junipers underneath. So you got to be careful of that. So pulling it out is about the only only way to control it. Wild red, wild blackberry or wild bramble, either way, I think is a good way to describe it. Well, and we also have pictures in the same photo album, Weed of the Week, of um, like mulberry weed. So yeah. all these berry weeds. Mulberry weed and mulberry weed and mulberry tree, for that matter, are not... Mulberry weed is a worse weed than mulberry tree, but mulberry weed, yes, is a tree is a, is a seed, actually, that uh, comes from the seeds of uh, the mulberry weeds around your landscape. They sprout every spring in my landscape. So, yeah, a lot of berry weeds out there. So you got pictures? Folks can see pictures of all the weeds we've done since March. They can go to wsbradio.com, and in the search bar, just type Weed of the Week, and it takes you to the whole photo album. All right. You'll see all the weeds that Ashley is proud to call her own or perhaps not call her own anymore because hopefully she's got them out of there, won't have many more. They're Even gone. In a year, we won't have to do this segment anymore. You won't have any weeds in your landscape. I've identified just about all. Well, you have helped me identify just about all of them. I, I hope I don't have any new ones. Hopefully not. We'll go into the neighbor's lawns and work with them for a while out there, too. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Charlie's out in uh, Jasper, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Charlie. Good morning, Walter. Thanks for taking my call. How can uh, I help? We had a house built uh, up on uh, Monument Road up in Jasper, Georgia. It's like 3,200 feet elevation, and we planted Kentucky 31. At least that's what the builder said. And okay. some of it started seeding, and I didn't have time to cut it. And it lived through the cold winter. Huh. And I'm just wondering if any of those seeds will germinate. And if they do, what do I need to keep them germinating? Some will, some won't, and it's probably not worth your time. <laughs> to, to get down to the real nitty-gritty of your question, you do get some germination of fescue seeds if you allow them to get tall enough to mature the seeds and they drop to the ground. Yeah, a few of those will germinate. But you'll get better coverage and more even coverage if you replant using either 
the turf type fescues or more Kentucky 31, whatever you want to use. But okay. I wouldn't try to spend my time waiting and waiting and waiting for those few fescue seeds that are going to germinate to be successful in your lawn. Put regular okay. seed out there and let that be the lawn lawn method. Okay, great. And could I ask you one more question sure. about um, muscadines? <laughs> I've got probably 30 or 40 muscadines growing in my yard, and I cut them off about two years ago, anywhere from one foot to three foot, and they're growing. Yeah. They're having seed pods, but they're not growing. Mm, it's not time yet. Muscadines won't ripen until do 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 first of August, maybe middle week of August, perhaps. So they're, they could be green and they could be on the vine, and they may need some water right now, Charlie. But they're not supposed to be ripe, if that's what your question is. Yeah, because mm. they're not getting bigger at all, and some of them are in the sun only an hour, and some of them are about maybe three or four hours in the sun. It's not a lot of sunshine. Muscadines prefer to be in full sunshine. But, it, you know, I mentioned a couple of times already this morning that water is what plants need. Figs right now are trying to mature. Uh, blueberries are trying to mature the last bit of their fruit. And the muscadines, the same thing. So water is not uh, not a bad thing to add to them to help them to mature and ripen their fruit. Okay, so there's not like a male muscadine and a female muscadine then. It's just... Mm, well, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there are muscadines, some muscadines, and particularly the improved varieties, the named varieties, that have what are called perfect flowers. And a perfect flower is one that has male and female parts in the same flower, and they have muscadines without batting an eye. They do fine. And then there are other varieties that have only a female part to the flower, and that's easy enough to, to work with because you just plant a perfect flowered muscadine next to it, and pollen goes from back and forth between the vines. You have plenty of muscadines on, on both. So there's not a male and female per se, but there certainly are perfect flowers and imperfect flowers in muscadines. Okay, great. Well, I appreciate that a lot. All right. Thanks for calling, Charlie. Thank you, Walter. Good day. 742. Our number is 404-872-0750. Joy is out in Alpharetta, and Joy joins us on Lawn and Garden. Good morning. Hey, Joy. Hey, you don't, you don't have a lot your, of joy um, in, your, in your garden. About the squash, oh, um, yeah. about the the eggs and, you know, how Bugs. to keep those away. But I kind of have a different problem, and I've been battling this for years, and I thought I had the solution. I put my zucchini and my yellow squash in cages, in tomato oh, cages, okay. and then I've been putting seven dust around the stem that goes into the ground, but the, they're killing me. There's the little um, white caterpillars or they somehow get in the plant and the stems and reproduce or something, but they're killing the plants. Yeah. So you say they're in the stem of the plant, right? Yeah. Mm, squash vine borer, a heartbreaking insect. Yes. So it's not a caterpillar, it's a, a grub, if you want to be technical about it. And okay. what the life cycle is, there's a clear wing moth or it looks like a moth anyway. It's about ooh, an inch, an inch long. Has clear wings on it, and when the spring turns warm, around the first week of May, the clear wing moths will hatch out from where they're pupated during the winter time, and they go looking for squash plants. And if Joy has a squash plant, then they go and lay their eggs right at the base of the stem, and the egg hatches out. The little larvae bores into the stem. It starts eating inside the stem of the squash, and you don't even know it's there because the no. squash grows normally and looks just perfectly happy until around the middle of July and your squash plants all wilt and flop to the ground and you look at the stem and it's got this big, white, ugly grub in the middle. Yes. Well. Exactly. Well, that's when you 
flip it out with a with a stick or something and put it on the driveway and see which blue jay can come get it the fastest. <laughs> and they will sort of come eat it. And the prevention for it, Joy, is to be a little earlier with your insecticide dust if you want to do it. I have two ways. One is using insecticide, and that is to keep a little bit of dust on the stem of your plants from the time they're planted, pretty much. Okay. And that will prevent the eggs from hatching because it'll kill the eggs when the when they hit the insecticide. Um, the other way is to put what's called floating row cover, which is a polyester stuff. They usually use it for making plants not be uh, frozen in the wintertime. You cover your plants and it keeps them from being frozen. But this floating row cover is also um, something that you can put over the squash plants the day you plant them, put a little stick to hold it up, make a tent over it, and cover the plant all on all sides. And the moth then can't get in to lay her eggs. But the, this floating stuff is so lightweight that sunshine goes through and rainfall goes through. It, you okay. know, squash continues to grow. And uh, the only time you need to take the floating row cover off is when it starts making flowers. And that's easily, you know, a month or two, almost six weeks after you plant it. And by that time, the stem is so tough that the eggs have a very hard time hatching and penetrating into the stem. So you, the floating row cover is not a bad way to go. Well, I will try that. And you're right. I mean, I did not see anything. And I've been inspecting them every day. Yeah. And one good thing about putting them in the cages is you can look up under the leaves very easily. Yeah, but sure, I've sure. seen nothing. And then all of a sudden, the vines are full. Well, when I catch one, I've been just pulling them up just to make sure I get the whole plant out of my garden. And I've yeah. had to throw away three yeah, or four sure. full zucchinis. Should I not do that? Should I just try to... Get the bug out of there. Theoretically, some zucchini, some squash will recover if you mound a little bit of soil over the wounded place after you take the grub out. I've tried it two or three times, and it never seems to make it, never seems to recover, mm. and always okay. dies and flip it out. But you know, if you've got those cages over them, Joy, you could staple this uh, polyester material to the outside of the cages, maybe, and that would be your covering, and that would work just fine. Well, I will do that next time. Thank you so much. It's a great time talking to you, Joy. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. 46 minutes past the hour. I bet we can get Jose in here. Jose, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, man. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing Walter. fine. How can I help? Uh, my wife and I, we just put in some trees uh, on the property, and we want to know the watering schedule from when you put in trees. We figure there's a few different kinds that we put in. Yeah. We got maple, so, birch. What have you got? Uh, weeping willow, uh, yeah. a magnolia. And when so, did you plant? When did you plant them, Jose? Two weeks ago. And were they in a pot originally, or were they bare root, or ball and burlap, or what were they? They were in burlap. In burlap. All right. We want to be really good about watering. You cannot go on vacation. You got to be sure you're watering, and the, a lot of the observation is just you walking out every day almost and looking at the leaves. If they have any kind of droop to them, it's time to water immediately. Because ball and burlap trees have a very limited root system. It's one that you really have to keep the water around them in order to keep the limbs and leaves and everybody happy. So. In general, I would say a big five-gallon bucket of water every two days is about right. Okay. And so how many trees do you have to water, Jose? Eight. Eh, you can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> Your back's going to hurt, but okay, you can handle it. So eight trees, five-gallon bucket of water, and it's going to be sort of a pain, and you're not going to want to do it. And so you need to tell your wife and say, honey, if I don't go water the trees, 
poke me with a stick and make me go out water the trees because you cannot, like I say, you cannot take a vacation and let the area around those roots, and they will not grow much at all during the heat um, mm -hmm. until the fall. So you just have to water them. Five gallons every couple of days, I think you're fine. Uh, morning or evening? Doesn't matter. Probably I would do it in the morning if I could, simply to keep be sure there's moisture there when the sun comes up and heats up the leaves. How long do we keep this up? Ooh, until at least temperatures are down in the 60s, maybe 50s during the day. So it's going to be two or three months from now. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Great talking to you, Jose. Thanks for calling. 404-872-0750. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. You know, the weather today is sort of like a coin flip. 50-50 chance of rain or no rain, depends. Temperatures in the low 90s this afternoon, and the chance of showers drops to around 30% tonight with temperatures in the low 70s. So stay tuned. It allows us accurate and dependable forecast. Comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Ashley, you got time to do the weekend prize pack? Let's do it. Let's do the weekend prize pack. Ashley, we'll think of a number between 2 and 7 to determine who wins a pair of tickets to see Australian Pink Floyd. That's a cool concert. They'll be in concert August 21st at Chastain Park Amphitheater, produced by Live Nation, plus a $20 McDonald's Arch card, so you can go have something to eat and go see Australian Pink Floyd. That would be awesome. Not the same as regular Pink Floyd. Not Scott the same Maxwell as regular says. Pink Floyd, no. With the dark side of the moon and all other things. They'll play some of that Pink Floyd stuff. All right. All right, so who's going to win? I think caller seven. I have some extra time. Ooh, let's work it now. 404 741 404-741-0750. Dial carefully to win the tickets to see Australian Pink Floyd. And uh, we've got time for Phyllis. Ask a question really quick, Phyllis, and let's get out of here, and I think we can do it. Go for it, Phyllis. Sounds good for me. We had Bermuda sod laid at the end of May. Yeah. And three weeks ago, in certain sections of the yard, we had brown dollar spots and brown patches in uh, certain sections. Okay. We used uh, Scott's fungicide. What is the average lifespan of a fungus? Fungi are always in the soil. And when you put a fungicide out there, what you're doing is helping the plant protect itself from the fungus attacking it. But the actual mm -hmm. fungus itself, always there. You can't get rid of it. You can't eliminate it. You can't sterilize the soil or anything like that. And so the thing to do for diseases in soil is to figure out how did I make my grass weak in the first place to have the fungus attack it. And many times it's from water, lack of water, or from lack of fertilizer, or sometimes too much fertilizer, or too much water even. But that's what a fungicide does is it protects and helps to you know, keep the grass strong, but it does not actually eliminate fungus from the soil. So do I continue to water on a regular schedule? We continue to water on a regular schedule as long as temperatures are in the 90s or above. It really helps the lawn to fight against disease if you water when it's hot. They need it. And if you don't, then you predispose the grass to diseases, and that's not exactly what you want. Some grasses can withstand heat better than others, I think. Uh, Bermuda grass and zoysia particularly both can look pretty good without any water on them at all. Fescue, not so good. It's 7.57. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news.